0: Let's pray together God we acknowledge that you are holy And yet you've given us the privilege to Be in your presence Only made possible because of your great love Grace and mercy that you've shown towards us Thank you for making it possible For us to be in the presence of you Holy God Forgive us when we Forget your holiness and live carelessly or recklessly. I pray that you'd help us through your word this morning to have a fresh understanding of who you are and who we are and what you desire of us. Help us to understand your word and help us to be obedient to follow it. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you church family for being here uh, this morning and um, I want to thank you that I'm the old and new pastor and for the last 15 years you have given me the opportunity to alongside with you continue to grow into a fully devoted disciple of Jesus Christ and I want to thank you for being used of God to affirm in Jen and my life his leading in our lives When this opportunity was first brought to me to pray about well over a year and a half ago now, my prayer every day was, Lord, shut the door. (laughs) And here's why, because I wanted to make sure that this wasn't man's plans, but that this was God guiding my steps. I had to know that for sure. And God used different people, God used our ministry team here, our deacons, but I also wanna say to the congregation, God used you. To affirm for me that he is guiding my steps this is not man's plans and so by faith we will obey and we will take this next step and together as a community we will continue to grow to become fully devoted disciples of Jesus Christ amen Amen. so thank you well I'm excited this morning to kick off our fall sermon series in the book of Acts which I've titled mission possible mission possible and it was actually John's purpose for writing his gospel which we studied earlier on the year that triggered my thoughts and directed my hearts towards this series. You will recall why John wrote his gospel. So that people like you and I may know that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God and that by believing we may have life in his name. Life in his name. Eternal life. The gift that God promised in John 3 16 to whoever believes in his son a gift that is in total contrast to the death recorded in Romans 6:23, where it says the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord a gift we get to experience the blessings of not only in the future but also right now John, in chapter 3, verse 36, if you believe in the Son, he says, you have eternal life. A few weeks ago, we had to go and drop my daughter Natalie off in Indiana for her to start her degree in nursing at Indiana Wesleyan University. And uh, while she was getting her room set up with Jen and April, I I went to a shoe store down there because I don't like spending a lot of money on clothes. And uh, in fact, I have to be honest... This jacket I just purchased at Talies And doesn't it look good? <laughs> I don't know why someone gave this up, but I'm thankful for the 10 bucks it cost me. <laughs> right? So in the States, you can get amazing deals on shoes. And I needed new black shoes. And uh, so I went into the store while everything was going on. And they had amazing deals. And I found a pair of black shoes. Because unfortunately, I have Fred Flintstone feet. They're super wide. And it's hard to find shoes that fit well. So they had a whole section, 10 and a half W. I thought, yes, this is me. So I saw the black shoes, but guess what else I saw? And this is sad, it means I'm getting old. I was so excited to find a pair of Skechers. (laughs) I know Nike, Under Armour, Adidas, those days are gone. Now I'm looking at Skechers. But these Skechers were really unique. And you'll see them one day because they're camouflage on the side. And on the top, there's this beautiful canvas material that will go well with brown pants. So keep your eyes open for the camo sketchers. So I bought them. And I thought, what's Jen going to say? So when she came to the store, she said, what are those? I said, I helped you out. I bought my Christmas gift. (laughs) And I said to her, but don't worry. Leave them in the box. I won't touch them until Christmas. Why do I tell you that story? Because I think sometimes that's how we our perspective of the gift of eternal life. We have it, but we often think of it only in a future sense. We will enjoy the blessings of eternal life in the future. But no, we can enjoy it right now. And one of the blessings besides having peace with God and experiencing the peace of God that we sometimes overlook right now is the privilege, the privilege we get to be active participants in the ongoing mission of Christ which we will learn more about as we journey through Luke's historical account of the birth and the growth of the early church. But before we jump in, I think it would be helpful for us at the front end to briefly look at the background of Acts and Luke, its author, and his purpose for writing it. Acts, as some of you probably have heard, or maybe your Bible even titles the book as the Acts of the Apostles, was actually written as a sequel to Luke's gospel you will see shortly as we get into the text, in his opening statement, it reads as if it's an ongoing progress. And that's because most scholars agree that Luke wrote both volumes, his, his gospel and the book of Acts, at the same time while he was in Rome during Paul's imprisonment, 60 to 62 years after Christ's death. And he was in Rome because Luke was a close friend, a traveling companion, and a beloved physician of the Apostle Paul, and you know from all the beatings that Paul got on his missionary journeys, I'm sure having Luke's medical skills available to him no doubt was a blessing to Paul. Luke had joined Paul on his second missionary journey, and we know from Paul's own testimony in 2 Timothy four eleven that Luke remained faithful to the Apostle Paul in supporting him and sticking by his side right up to the time of his martyrdom. But besides being a faithful laborer as how Luke addressed, how Paul addressed Luke, Luke was also a careful researcher and an accurate historian. More than anyone else in the early church, he had the ability and the opportunity to interview many key witnesses of Jesus' ministry and be able to pull together their testimonies. In fact, in writing Acts, he not only interviewed key figures, but he also gathered historical facts from other written sources and was himself an eyewitness to many of the events that he recorded in the book of Acts. And we know this by his frequent use of the words we and us in his accounts. Luke was an incredibly smart and gifted man. And not only that, he was a close friend of arguably the greatest missionary ever, and yet... He was such a humble person. Similar to John, he never directly mentions himself in either of his works. So who was Luke addressing when he wrote the second volume of this work? Well, because both gospel, his gospel and acts were written at the same time and as one piece of work, it should not surprise us that they were addressed to the same person, a man named Theophilus. Are you looking for a name for your son? Any of you who are expecting Theophilus, it means lover of God. And Theophilus, who was he? We don't really know much about him, the Bible doesn't tell us. However, based on the name and the way that Luke addressed him as most excellent Theophilus, it is safe to assume he was likely a high ranking official in the Roman government because such a title was reserved only for governors. And whether Theophilus was a believer who Luke was wanting to instruct or a pagan who Luke sought to convert, we don't know. But what we do know is that Luke in his gospel wanted to provide Theophilus with a detailed historical account of the life of Jesus while on earth. Why? So that he may know the certainty of the things he was taught. And now in Acts, the sequel to his gospel He wants to follow up by giving Theophilus a detailed historical account of the ongoing ministry of the now ascended Christ. Luke focused on Jesus' ministry and his gospel while he was on earth. Now he's going to focus for Theophilus on his ongoing ministry after he ascended. Now listen, I see all the students up here and it's so good to see you up here. Do you know by God's grace this week we had 122 youth out, 9 to 12 on Wednesday night? Isn't that awesome? Praise the Lord. We need to keep cheering and championing them when they set aside time to grow as disciples of Jesus Christ. So youth, thank you for sitting together and thank you for being here. But if history was and is not your favorite subject in school, I totally understand. But I can encourage you. Do not tune out, because Luke's historical account, which we are going to go through of the early church, is our history. It's our history. And the different individuals that we're going to run into as we study through the book of Acts are our brothers and sisters. So we're not launching into the study to merely analyze dates and places and people as if to cram for an exam. No one said my prayer is that we, those who have life in Jesus' name, will allow the message of the God, of Acts to capture our thoughts and to grip our hearts afresh to embrace the ongoing mission of Jesus Christ because it involves you and I. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 1, where we will be looking through the first 14 verses. Acts chapter 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. 14 verses, I want us to see that Luke lays out for Theophilus four foundational realities for the rapid spread of the message of Jesus Christ in the early church that, by the way, still makes mission possible today. This is why it's relevant for us. And the first foundational reality that he wanted Theophilus to understand is that Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. His mission continues Look what he records in verse 3. After his suffering, Theophilus, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. This is so critical. If Jesus did not rise from the dead and come and give these convincing proofs to his apostles, then not only, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, is our faith futile, but we are still in our sins, and there is no mission. There's no mission if he didn't rise. We have no good news to offer the world if Jesus do not rise from the dead. In fact, our preaching, as Paul says, is useless. Believing that Jesus is alive is foundational to everything that we confess and do here at Calvary Baptist Church. And Luke lays this out for Theophilus right from the beginning in verse 3. And Paul, if you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 8, echoes The supreme importance of this reality that Jesus is alive. And there Paul summarizes who Jesus appeared to during the 40 days after his resurrection before his ascension. Listen to what the word of God says. For what I received I passed unto you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared also to me as one abnormally born. Luke, carried along by the Holy Spirit, wanted Theophilus and subsequently anyone who would ever hear or read Acts to know, as one author says, that Christianity is not built on speculation or someone's creative imagination. No, it is founded on actual historical revelation and objective facts. That's what we believe. Jesus really did live. He really did die. He really did rise bodily. He really did appear to hundreds of witnesses after his resurrection. He really did teach about the kingdom of God for 40 days before ascending to the Father. And as Luke records in verse 11, he really is going to come back again. Do you believe this? I trust you do by faith because if you don't, you need to understand believing this is essential to having eternal life. And I believe you do believe this, Calvary Baptist Church. But sometimes I think we neglect, listen closely, to fully recognize and appreciate the ongoing effect of this reality. We understand Jesus is alive, but sometimes we overlook that means his mission is continuing. The good news, he is alive. His mission to seek and save the lost is not dead. Jesus, while on earth, knew what his mission was. Remember what he said to Zacchaeus? Today salvation has come to this house. Because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. When the Pharisees and teachers of the law complained to Jesus' disciples about why he was eating with tax collectors and why he was eating with sinners... Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What was Jesus' mission? To seek and save the lost and call sinners to repentance. And that mission is ongoing. And we see from the beginning in Genesis that God has been and continues to be on mission to reconcile lost people like we all once were to himself. This is why he gave Jesus, his one and only son to the world, to be the only means by which lost sinners could be reconciled to himself. Christ's sinless life, his substitutionary death on the cross, his victorious resurrection, which Luke directs Theophilus' attention to, folks, provides the only way for lost sinners to be saved, to be rescued from the wages of sin, which is death, to experience life in his name. And because he is alive, the opportunity to be rescued from the domain of darkness, brought into the kingdom of his son, who he loves, where we have redemption and forgiveness of sin, is still available today. Do you believe that? Romans chapter 10, verse 13, Paul says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be be saved. This is great news. Jesus is alive. His mission continues. There's a lot of bad news in our world. And yes, we should pay attention and we should not live like ostriches with our head in the ground. But folks, I really don't care. Jesus is alive. And his mission is ongoing. This is great news that strengthens my faith and confidence in what I know and have been convinced is true. And it should give us hope for the lost in our circles of influence and those whom we have not even met rejoice be confident don't give up hope i love what the lord said to paul one night in a vision recorded in acts chapter 18 verses 9 and 10 listen do not be afraid keep on speaking do not be silent for i am with you no one is going to attack and harm you because listen closely i have many people in this city And I believe wholeheartedly, like the Lord told Paul about Corinth that night, I believe wholeheartedly. There are many in our city of 188,000 people who God is on mission to reconcile to himself. And praise God, we might have 1,300 to 1,400 people here today. Folks, we got tons of more space. There's 188,000 people in our city who the Lord is on mission wanting to reconcile to himself. We need to be alert, and we need to be engaged where we see him working. One of my favorite things I love doing now when a couple or someone comes in to talk to me is I just let them talk. I just want to hear their story, and as they share their story, I just start to get it excited inside because God is drawing them to himself. And then you just get to help them understand from the word what's really going on in their life. It's so exciting. Listen to those around you. Listen to their stories. See if God is drawing them and then engage in the truth with them that Jesus is alive and he's on mission to rescue them. So my question to us this morning is, does your life reflect that Jesus is alive and he's on mission? What would those who are lost say about your life? Does it reflect this foundational reality the second foundational reality that I notice Luke draws Theophilus' attention to is Jesus commands engagement in his mission. He is alive. His mission continues. And he commands engagement in his mission. Unlike the original series, Mission Impossible, which began each episode with the team leader receiving what his next mission would be, followed by the famous line, your mission, should you choose To accept it. Jesus does not give those who have life in his name this option to choose to accept it. Jesus is alive and he is the commander and chief of his mission. We see this reflected in verse 2. Where Luke records that Jesus gave instructions and actually a better translation of that is orders. It's one thing to give instructions. But when your mom and dad give you orders, that takes it to a whole nother level. Jesus gave them orders through the Holy Spirit to the apostles He had chosen before He was taken up to heaven. And then in verse 4 and following, which we'll look at, He expands on those orders. You see, folks, what Jesus began to do and teach while on earth, He now continues through His followers, in particular through His church, through you and I. This is an incredible reality that just overwhelmed me this week. Wow! Christ's mission continues through us. We are just one of his forces in his global church, his Calvary Baptist Church. He is alive, he's on mission, and he's continuing his mission through you and I. And he commands us to engage in that mission. They were, and we are commanded to be engaged in his mission, which is one of the blessings of possessing eternal life that we get to experience and enjoy right now. His mission is not something we get to choose to accept. Rather, it comes as a blessing with the gift of having life in his name. Note, he says, you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses witnesses. His expectation is that followers are fully engaged in his mission. But I want us to notice something. The order of how he commanded his apostles to be engaged in his mission is very important. He commands them first in verse 4 to not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Something we all love to do. Wait. First command, don't leave Wait, wait for the gift my father promised which you have heard me speak about. They were not to embark on his mission until they had received the gift the father promised. Church, as we enter into a new season of ministry here at Calvary Baptist Church, this is a great reminder for us that we never go into his mission according to our wisdom and in our strength. Even though Christ's mission is continued through us, it is still his mission. It's his mission, and we must wait on him. Wait. And in verse 5, he identifies the promised gift as the Holy Spirit, which 10 days later the apostles would be baptized with at Pentecost. And Jesus, even the text said, I've told you about this before. Jesus had repeatedly promised the gift that God would send them, the person of the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist, Jesus tells them, baptized with water for the repentance of sin. But they were about to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And Luke's gospel recording of this promise gives some insight into what this baptism looks like. It's different than what we saw in the tank this morning. Okay, that is water baptism, post-salvation. So what is this baptism that Luke is referring to? What does it look like? Well, if you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, verse 49, this is his gospel recording of the same situation. Jesus says, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Clothed with power from on high. And here again in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, the text we've read this morning, we see the same thing of power associated with the coming of the Holy Spirit. And what they were going to experience was going to be different than when the Holy Spirit in the past had come upon individuals to fulfill a task that God had given them. For the first time, his followers were going to be indwelt and experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Folks, the very presence and power of God was now going to live in those who have life in Jesus' name. That is incredible. There's a lot of bad news on TV right now. But I'm telling you something real good this morning. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the very presence and power of God living in you. That's amazing. He was going to indwell them. The apostles... They had to wait until the day of Pentecost to experience this baptism as Christ had not yet ascended. But since then, all believers are baptized with the Holy Spirit at salvation. Turn with me to John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. The church, this local body of the representation of God's global church, is formed as the lost are given the gift of faith to believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord. And we are immersed by Christ through the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. And John the Baptist in Matthew 3.11 affirms that Christ is the baptizer of all believers. We are all immersed into the body of Christ by means of the Holy Spirit. Listen to how it's recorded in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 13. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free, and we all given the one Spirit to drink. Wow. What an amazing thing. What an amazing thing. The gift of the Holy Spirit. So what was the apostles' reaction? Well, they were excited. They were excited about what it meant for themselves. Look what it says in verse 6. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Jesus was so gracious with them. Even though he had been teaching them for over 40 days about the kingdom of God and in verse 8 about the ends of the earth, their thoughts were fixated on their own nation. They, on their own nation, the earthly kingdom of Israel being restored. Now before we jump on the apostles and say, come on, knuckleheads, okay? Based on their knowledge of Scripture, they connected the coming of the Holy Spirit with the establishment of the earthly kingdom of Messiah, spoken about in Ezekiel 36 and Joel 2. So when Jesus started to talk to them of this promise from the Father, the Holy Spirit, coming alongside his teaching of the kingdom of God, verses 3 and 5, they got excited. But... We see in Jesus' response to their question that even though the expectation of restoration of a literal earthly kingdom mirrored what Christ had taught and what the Old Testament predicts that will come eventually in the age to come, Jesus wanted their focus to be on the time before the final consummation of all things when Christ returns as king and judge and on their role in the mission during that time. How did he answer them in verse seven? It is not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set by his own authority. Folks, we sing the song, I know how the story ends. We know how it ends. We are gonna live with Jesus forever on the new earth. No more sickness, no more crying, no more death. We know how it ends. It is gonna happen according to God's timetable and according to his will. But in the meantime, Jesus says, guys, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. He wanted them to understand that the primary reason for the coming of the Holy Spirit was to empower them to continue his mission as spirit-empowered witnesses. And like the apostles, Christ wants his last command to be our first concern today. It's good to study and understand what God has revealed to us about how things will eventually happen. But folks, if we get so distracted about how things are going to happen and we don't go and seek and save the lost, we are not continuing Christ's mission. His last command, go and be my witnesses, has to be our first concern. The apostles had already experienced the Holy Spirit saving, guiding, teaching, mirror-working power. But soon, in a few days, they were about to experience a new dimension of His power for witnessing. People who would go out boldly and follow Jesus' model of doing and teaching about the kingdom of God. Witnessing to the truth about the risen Christ. Telling others how Christ is the fulfillment of the ancient prophecy way back in Genesis chapter 3 15. He is the one who crushed the head of the serpent, Satan. Providing the only only way for sinners to be reconciled to God and their mission was to start right where they were that's why I intentionally asked Shane our uh, graphic gentleman here at the church who serves with those giftings I said I want a skyline on our um, brand for this series to be of Oshawa and that's what it is that city skyline on the Uh, slide for this series is actually the city of Oshawa their mission was to start right where they were I realize we're not all from Oshawa but most of us are probably from the Durham region this is where our mission has to start and has to continue and from there we would move out through the power of the Holy Spirit in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth so listen as modern day disciples of Jesus his commands to engage in his mission have not changed He commands it. He expects us to be spirit-empowered witnesses to the message of life, just as the first disciples were and did. Now, yes, granted, their witness was different in the sense that they actually saw Jesus' death, his resurrection and ascension. But through God's word, we are the recipients of their eyewitness testimonies. Now, like them, we have the privilege the privilege of bearing witness to the good news of Messiah to everyone in our region, in our province, in our nation, and around the world. If you're not convinced yet, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. There we read, If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and what? Gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling people's sins against them. And he has committed, do you understand this? He has committed, he has entrusted to us. The message of reconciliation. When was the last time we shared that message of reconciliation with a lost sinner? He has committed this message to us. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Oh Lord, how appealing are you looking through my life to those in my circles of influence? We are to implore everyone on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is why I I agree with one author who said that Acts could be titled the Acts of the Lord Jesus through the apostles and the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see how it's all connected? The acts of the Lord Jesus through the apostles and the church, through Calvary Baptist Church, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And to emphasize this intimate, continuous connection in this ongoing mission between earth and heaven. What do we read in verse nine? After he gave the command, he said this. He was then taken up before their very eyes And a cloud hid them from their sight. A cloud hid them from their sight. Think back to your Sunday school days. What did the cloud represent in Exodus and in Daniel? The glory of God. The Shekinah glory of God. And so here we see the apostles watching Christ ascend into heaven And the glory of God was present and they were in awe. Look at verse 10. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Does this remind you of another scene at all? Maybe the tomb? Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken away from you into heaven will come back in the same way. Another promise. Another promise. He will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Meaning Jesus will return to earth in resurrected bodily form with great power and glory. He will be coming back. Now think of what he's commanded us to do knowing that he's coming back, let's make sure we're busy when he returns about his mission so that we will hear, well done, good and faithful Calvary Baptist Church. You didn't get distracted. You kept my last command, your first concern. But in the meantime, while we wait for that glorious day, He continues to direct his mission from the Father's right hand in heaven, bringing salvation, power, encouragement, and guidance to his people, to us, his spirit-empowered witnesses. I ask us today, are you experiencing his power to witness? Are you experiencing his power to witness? If not, why not? What is preventing you from being an effective spirit-empowered witness for Jesus Christ. I pray the Holy Spirit will convict each of us in areas where we are not fulfilling the mission of Jesus Christ and may we begin to experience in a fresh new way the fullness of the Holy Spirit to empower us to witness. Two last foundational realities, obedience and prayer are essential Obedience and prayer are essential for His mission. These two discipleship qualities are essential to experiencing God's power for His mission. And notice in response to the angel's gentle rebuke, the apostles obeyed what Jesus commanded. They returned to Jerusalem to wait for the Spirit's coming. The place where Messiah suffered was now going to become the place where the Lord said his mission will launch from and spread from. Obedience is so important to experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You often hear people praying, fill, Lord, fill them with the Holy Spirit. You want to know how to experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit in your life? Answer the question exactly the way Noah Waddell did. Is it my intention every day to surrender to you, Jesus Christ, as the Lord of my life? As you surrender to his lordship, you will experience the filling of the Holy Spirit. You already have him in you. The fullness. He will just get more of you. Surrender to his lordship. Obedience reflects our love for Jesus and his lordship in our lives. In John 6... Luke 6, sorry, verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? How many times are we guilty of singing Lord, Lord, but yet we are not witnessing to the lost? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck the house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck the house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Folks, obedience. Obedience reflects our love for Jesus. Those who love him obey his commands. And it reflects our surrender to his lordship in our lives. But notice as we close how they waited. They didn't sit there twiddling their thumbs. They didn't sit there waiting for the leadership team to come up with the plan. Although God does give leadership teams plans. They all, all waited purposefully. They all waited purposefully. Look at verse 14. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and look at those last four words, and with his brothers. Do you remember early on I said, rejoice, be confident, don't give up hope for those in your families and those who you work with that are lost. Jesus' brothers were with this group of new believers who John records eight months earlier didn't even believe that he was the Messiah. Don't give up hope. There is evidence right there. Jesus is on mission, even with his closest family. Don't give up hope. They waited purposefully. The apostles and others gathered for continuous prayer as they obediently waited for the gift the Father promised. Why did they do this? Because they had learned from watching Jesus' life and his teaching the necessity of staying closely connected to the Father through prayer and Luke and Acts are filled with references to prayer in fact in in Acts 31 times it's mentioned and it appears in 20 of the 28 chapters and how does he describe how they prayed together constantly together constantly oh I pray that we will be a church that constantly is together praying together constantly Not the attitude, oh, it's prayer time at D.C. How long is this prayer meeting going to go? Together and constantly. Together meaning with one mind and passion. Our passion needs to be the command of Jesus Christ. Go be my witnesses. And constantly meaning resolutely and persistently. This group of believers, persistent, united prayer was a foretaste of a crucial aspect of their common life as the church after the Spirit came. Brothers and sisters, unity and corporate prayer are two essential qualities that identified them and need to identify us if we are going to be empowered for His mission. Obedience reflects our love for Christ and His Lordship in our lives prayer reflects our trust and dependence on God and our desire individually and corporately to be in line with His will. Are we taking God's word seriously? Are we fully relying on Him or are we approaching His mission in our own wisdom and in our own strength? I'm so grateful. I am so grateful that the disciples did what Jesus commanded them to do. Because folks, we are here today because they, knowing that Jesus is alive, engaged in his mission through the power of the Holy Spirit and they did it obediently and prayerfully and we are the fruit of their lives. Ever thought about that? Should the Lord tarry, who will be the fruit of us believing that Jesus is alive and that he commands us to be on his mission, that he will empower us for his mission, and we should do it obediently and prayerfully. Let's approach this new season in the history of Calvary Baptist Church as a family who desperately wants to see the God about whom we read about in history continue to move mightily in our present time and in our city and in our region. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for providing salvation for us. And then thank you for giving us purpose for living. To glorify you, to worship you, and to be witnesses to the fact that Jesus is alive. He's seated at your right hand, Father, and he continues to orchestrate the mission which you have revealed to us from the very beginning of your word, and that is to reconcile lost people to you. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to seek and save us. Oh God, I pray that we would be individuals and in a congregation that embrace the privilege we have of those who have life in Jesus' name, that we will embrace the privilege that we, we Knowing our background, knowing our past, knowing our weaknesses, we are the ones who have been committed with the ministry of reconciliation and the ongoing of your mission in this world. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who indwells us May we rely on his power and may you, God, for your glory and for your kingdom's sake and for those who are perishing, would you be gracious and merciful in our city, in our region and would you save many people, bring them to the knowledge of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and then help us to be a family that obediently and prayerfully disciples them for your glory, for your kingdom's sake. We pray all this in the mighty name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I read this quote and I want to end our service with it from a British theologian, Michael Green. He says, three crucial decades in world history, that is all it took. In the years between AD 33 and 64, a new movement was born. In those 30 years, it got sufficient growth and credibility to become the largest religion in the world has ever seen and to change the lives of hundreds of millions of people, including us standing here today. It has spread into every corner of the globe and has more than 2 billion adherents. It has had an incredible impact on civilization, on culture, on education, on medicine, on freedom, and of course on the lives of countless people worldwide. And the seedbed for all this, the time when it took decisive root, was in these three decades. It all began with a dozen men and a handful of women, and then the Spirit came. So much happened in 30 years. Made me wonder this week, what may God do through a local group of believers like you and I here this morning, throughout that same period of time, should he tarry? 188,000 people in our city. Go in the power of the Holy Spirit and let's be witnesses. Jesus is alive and his mission continues. God bless you. Lord willing, we'll see you back here tonight at 6 p.m.